You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. Morning, everybody. So, yes, uh, we are starting off our new Christmas series. Okay, we are, um, actually, I kind of forget the title. It's something about the king. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, what? Whatever. Yeah, I get to title it now, right? Yeah. But the title of this morning is The King is Coming. The King is Coming. So, um, I, actually, just quick note. Sorry, this actually isn't my Indiana Jones jacket. This is my uh, Kit Harrington uh, from Eternals jacket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, thanks. Um, all right, picture me if you will. There is a 10 year old boy. This 10 year old boy lives with his mom and dad, but mostly with his mom because his dad is a very important businessman and, and he takes very important business trips and is not often at home too much. And this boy adores his dad, but he wants nothing more than to spend time with his dad, and he wants his dad to teach him to play catch. One day, during one of these very important business trips, they get a phone call. The wife picks it up, hello? Oh honey, hi, it's you. The boy perks his ears up. Dad, is that dad? Yeah, it's dad. Can you put him on speaker? Boop, put on speaker. Dad, is that you? It is, son. How are you doing? I'm great, dad, how are you? I'm doing okay. Son, I have a surprise for you. The company says that the trip is going really well, and I can get a little bit of time off, just, just a day. It's just gonna be one day, they're gonna fly me back and I get to be home for a day and we're gonna hang out. Okay, dad, that sounds great, that sounds great. It's gonna be a great day. I have everything all planned out already for you. I want, I want this day to be perfect for us. Oh, okay, dad, sure, but all I really want is, no, no, okay, son, I gotta go, I gotta go, but it's gonna be great. Okay, dad, I'm looking forward to seeing you. All right, I love you, bye. The day arrives. It's supposed to arrive at 11 a.m. 11.30 rolls around. 12 o'clock rolls around. Where's dad? You get a phone call. Hey, son, I'm really sorry. My flight's been delayed. Um, I, I just landed, though. I'm going to be home. I'm going to grab a taxi. Going to come home. Okay, I'll see you real soon. Okay, dad, looking forward to it. He gets home. Gives his son a big hug, right? Dad, it's so good to see you. So good to see you, too, son. You ready for our day? Yeah, I'm ready, dad. I, I just want to go get my best one. Oh, okay, son, you know, hold on. I had a great idea. I had a great idea. It's going to be perfect. Perfect. I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to get us matching t-shirts because it's Father Sunday. Oh, okay, Dad, that's great. Yeah, sure, I, I don't really need a match t-shirt. No, no, it's going great. I'm going to write back, okay? He hops in his car, goes over to Walmart. That's gone for like 15, 20 minutes. Then there's a phone call. What is it, honey? You'd never believe this, but they don't have the matching colors. They don't have the matching colors. Well, well, that's okay. You don't really, no, no, no. I want this day to be perfect for my son. I've, I've planned this all out. I've got it, everything under control. Well, okay, but what are you gonna do? I'm just gonna have to go across the town to Target and go look over there. Well, oh, okay, that's great, sure. Another half an hour goes by. Comes home, he finally has the matching t-shirts. All right, son, it's lunchtime now. I know you're probably really hungry. I ordered some pizza. Oh, okay, cool, dad. Uh, while, we, while we wait for the pizza, can we go play? Like, no, okay, hold on, son. The pizza's right here, okay? I can see the pizza delivery boy. He's driving up, okay? Let's give him his money, give him the pizza, opens it up, and his face just, you know, goes blank. The pizza boy asks him, what, what's wrong, sir? Is there something wrong with the pizza? I ordered pepperoni pizza. This is supreme pizza. I'm gonna have to call your manager about this. Oh, okay. Sure enough, he gets on the phone and starts yelling at the manager, tells him, you ruining this day with my boy? Like, I ordered pepperoni pizza, you give supreme? He doesn't eat vegetables on pizza. He doesn't like those mushrooms. Like, oh, okay, sorry, 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 we'll, we'll send out another one. And, you know, another half an hour passes by, and, you know, the, the father's all steamed, he's pissed. And they bring the pizza, and they eat the pizza, kind of in awkward silence. And, dad, and, and finally the boy says, oh, okay, Dad. <laughs> it's like 2.30 by now. Uh, can, we, can we go outside and play catch? You know, <laughs> all this running around and being all mad, I've got a little bit of a headache now. Uh, can you just let daddy lie down for like half an hour? Kind of rest my eyes and rest my mind a little bit. Okay, dad. Sure. Dad lies down on the couch. The boy goes off to watch TV. Half an hour turns an hour. Hour turns into two hours. Daylight's starting to go. Finally, the son kind of wakes up his dad. Hey, dad. Um, I know you got to leave pretty soon. Uh, can... 
Can we just go outside? Play some ball? Oh. That's all you really wanted, huh? Yeah, Dad. I, I just wanted to spend some time with you. Huh. Okay. Let's go outside. The boy excitedly runs up, grabs his baseball glove, grabs his cap. They're still wearing their matching t-shirts. They go outside. And the boy smiles. The dad got caught up in trying to make everything perfect, trying to set everything right. Good intentions, of course, but he missed it. He missed what his boy really wanted, just to spend time with his dad, just to get to know him a little better, just to be with him. And I think sometimes we can do that too. We can get caught up in all the other details. You know, Jody kind of talked about that today. Good things. But we can get caught up in all the other details of life, especially during this season, and we lose sight of our relationship with Jesus. And when that happens, we get caught up in the busyness and the planning of the holiday, and we end up not broadcasting the joy and the love and excitement for our king that we're supposed to be having, but instead we broadcast irritability and stress. Or if you think about it more recently, we start broadcasting anger and resentment because of the shifting of our culture. You know, we live in, in a we live in a diverse nation, okay? And we have people that celebrate other holidays, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and people that just celebrate Christmas as a day off from work and a time with family. And if we're, you know, if we're honest, you know, the culture around us has become less Christian. And in a larger cultural context, the Christian celebration of the Christmas season has lost some of its focus in the public consciousness. But in reaction to this fading that we've seen of Jesus into the background a bit, we've had campaigns and yelling and social media outrage of, you know, keep Christ in Christmas and Jesus is the reason for the season. It's Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. You know, and this, you know, and some sort of war on Christmas, which you may subscribe to, I don't personally subscribe to, but whatever. Okay, and we have this idea in our head and we start yelling about it all the time. And while I agree in principle that we need to have Jesus in Christmas because it is about Jesus' birth, it does make me laugh a little bit because so much of Christmas is not really that Christian if we really take a close look at it, okay? So, okay, I'm, I know people are already laughing. You're like, oh my gosh, you're gonna offend people? I might, okay? Let's, let's here we go, okay? Hold on with me, hold on with me. Okay, so some people say like, all right, we need to keep Christ in Christmas, and we see like the Xmas. They're like, hey, that's taking Christ out of Christmas. No, it's not, it's not, because the letter X is actually the Greek letter chi, and chi is Christ, okay? And even Christians back then would actually like, if they wrote Christian, they would write X-I-A-N, or chi-I-A-N. And so it's actually not, it's just an abbreviation for Christ. So it's not actually taking Christ out of Christmas. We also know that the date of Jesus' birth is probably not December 25th, year zero. Uh, the uh, ancient Christian monks who were calculating Jesus' birthday got it totally wrong. And um, it turns out that Jesus probably was born between 4 and 7 BC. And if you think about it, if the shepherds were grazing their flocks during the winter, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So it probably was not December 25th. We, we actually even know it was not. And I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating your birthday, not on the right day or even the right month. I had a birthday party in August once. My birthday's in March. <laughs> but I still got to go laser tagging, so I didn't care. Okay, so what's really more interesting about the date of Christmas is that it was chosen probably around the second or third century. Okay, so it wasn't, they didn't celebrate Christmas uh, that early, like right after, uh, right after Jesus was born or right after he died, because in that time, Christians thought celebrating birthdays was incredibly sinful. Because, uh, the theory goes, is that when babies are born, you're not born, you know, you're, you're born with original sin, and so you are the basically this godless, heathen, little, selfish little baby, and which some people still believe today. Um, and so they're like, why are we going to celebrate that? We're not going to celebrate that. That's terrible. What ended up happening is that in the Roman Empire, there was the festival of the winter solstice. Okay? And this was a big festival celebrated around this time. And Christians were left out because they weren't supposed to celebrate these Roman pagan festivals. And so in order to fit in a little bit better, they're like, okay, well, you know, we can have our own holiday. So let's celebrate Jesus' birthday. Because Jesus, he's not born of the original sin. He's completely good. So we can celebrate his birthday. And gradually over time, they kept that because the, the Christianity became the dominant religion. 
And they're like, well, you know what? It's around the winter solstice. The days are going to continue to get longer. It's like light triumphing over darkness. We'll keep it there. All right, that's cool. So it turns out that Christmas actually started out as a Roman pagan holiday, and we just kind of took it over. And so I have to wonder, in back in Roman times, were they like, you know what? We see it changing. Keep the, keep the winter in solstice, or the season is the reason for the season. Um, suddenly it doesn't quite have the ring to it, I guess, but... Many of our own traditions in Christmas have pagan roots, okay? Christmas trees. If you look at, the, if you look at their history, they were from evergreen trees, okay? The trees that would last during the winter. And people looked at them during the winter solstice, again, as trees that represented everlasting life. Or the sun, which they thought was a god, was coming back. And so they were celebrated this in uh, Roman culture, Egyptian culture, Celtic culture. Um, some, culture some Christians started decorating their trees in the 16th century, uh, mostly in Germany. But in Britain and America, Christmas trees were outlawed and banned up until the late 1800s. This is a fairly new phenomenon for us. The Yule log comes from the North celebration of the winter solstice. Mistletoe comes from Celtic tradition, where they believed that it had magical powers to, to uh, heal and also increase fertility. So think about that next time you're kissing under the mistletoe. <laughs> Maybe you already are, I don't know. Um, let's remember that Christmas is also celebrated differently in other cultures, right? People have different foods, different traditions all over the world. It doesn't look like it does here in America. I had no idea that tamales were a Christmas tradition for most of you until I came to RLA. I didn't know that was a thing. And I'm very thankful it's a thing now. Okay, you think of Australia over there? You're like walking in a winter wonderland. They don't have winter over there. It's summer for them. <laughs> this just doesn't make sense for them. They have barbecues, which I'm also down for, for Christmas. <laughs> hey, or you think of all the other Christmas characters. Okay? Like we've got Frosty, we've got Rudolph, we've got Santa. Okay? But in other cultures, they've got wild other characters that, that come from pagan traditions, and they've adapted into their Christian or, or other cultures. Okay? You know how, like, how I don't know if, if you, like, what you could you tell your kids about Santa. Okay? Whatever you want to do, whatever. But... Um, you know, in, we have Santa Claus. Like, okay, if you've been good, you're going to get presents. If you're bad, you get a lump of coal. I'm like, where, where do you get a lump of coal these days? Can you get you a Home Depot? I don't know. Um, and then I'm like, I thought about this morning. I was like, you know, Santa has completely clean energy with his magical reindeers. And then he gives us lumps of coal if we're bad. That is not energy efficient. That's not clean energy. Um, but in other cultures, okay, and rather than getting a lump of coal, there's this other character named Krampus. Have you ever heard of Krampus? Okay, Krampus in his, in his most dark tellings, he doesn't come and just punish the kids for being bad. He comes and drags them to hell. Oh, like traumatic for your kids, I guess. Um, or in, in Dutch tradition, there's uh, not just, there's not Santa, but there's Sinterklaas. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he's got an assistant and his name is Black Pete. And he's a little elf who's black. And they're all white over there, so they wear blackface when they have them coming down in parades, which, you know, not exactly kosher here. Uh, and uh, this little character punishes the kids too sometimes, and he kidnaps them, puts them in his bag, and sells them to slavery in Spain. So, you know, Merry Christmas, y'all. Um, all that to say that Christmas traditions around the world, including some things here, are not always Jesus-oriented. They're not. Some of them come from pagan roots that we've completely adapted. Some of them are just for controlling children, whatever. Um, and so, yes, Jesus does belong in Christmas, right? We can agree on that. But for many of us, when we look at the season, we look at our celebrations, one might think that we're actually a little more focused on the holiday itself rather than Jesus. We sometimes care more about Christmas than Christ. The excitement tends to revolve around the event, the family dinners, the decorations, the Christmas gifts, the secret Santas, Christmas trees, movie marathons. Those tend to occupy our minds and our stress levels the most during the holidays. And none of those things are necessarily bad, but if we're honest, sometimes Jesus gets relegated to the background. When our minds are wrapped around maxing out our credit cards to get that one new gadget for Christmas, but our tithings drop, or we're so stressed about decorating our house but we won't talk to our neighbors about Jesus. Or we're determined to win those Christmas arguments on Facebook, but we get so heated that we end up spewing insults and hate. 
Jesus may be the true meaning of Christmas. Yes, he is. But the true meaning of Jesus is to live a transformed life and show others who he is, not just yell slogans and celebrate a holiday. The true meaning of Christmas will lose all meaning if that's what we're really about. So we can yell, we can scream, we can post about keeping Christ in Christmas or whatever, but maybe it's a symptom of a greater problem. Maybe we've let Christ fade into the background of Christmas because we've let him fade from the background of our life. Maybe he's just a symbol and not our king. Maybe people would be more serious about including Jesus in the actual holiday if they saw we would keep him in our whole life and they actually knew who he was. Are we willing to let our lives actually reflect Jesus rather than just put him make sure he's in a holiday? Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? We say Jesus is our king. The king is coming. The king is born. But is he actually our king? Do we obey our king? If not, then Jesus is little more than a mascot. Mark Harper, in his brilliant preach last week, if you have a chance, go back and, and watch it. Um, he said that people's view of God the Father is often skewed by their experience of their own father. And I, I talked to my friends who grew up in church who have either fallen away from their faith or are far away from God. And I asked them many times, all right, did your parents demonstrate Jesus to you and live out their faith to you at home? And every single one of them says, no. We went to church. We knew what we believed, but I never saw it lived out. And I have to think that that's the same for the rest of the world. That we can say we believe something. We can go to church. But if we don't actually live it out in front of the world, and we don't actually tell people about Jesus and show people who Jesus is, they're never going to follow. They're not going to see the reality of what we believe. It becomes more about our, maintaining our culture for us. We might care more about being included in the public consciousness than we are actually caring about why and how Jesus is important. The problem isn't that we leave Christ out of Christmas. It's that we sometimes we fail to keep Christ in the rest of life. Telling people to maintain a name in a holiday isn't going to change any hearts to Jesus. People need to actually know Jesus and experience Jesus just as we do. And the people need to understand the why and the how. Why is Jesus so important to us? How has he impacted our life? Why is he my king? And why should I make him my king too? It's our mission to bring actual Jesus to people. Bring Jesus to people. Because the reality is, is that so many people today, frankly, have no idea who he is. You and I may take that for granted. Because all they can see about Jesus is what they see on the news or in social media or the signs on the street preachings, and which, you know, frankly, isn't all that positive. In college, I had friends who had never heard many of the Bible stories that you and I may have grown up with. And when I asked them, do you know who Jesus is? They're like, no, all I know is this, this guy you Christians like. That's it. That's all they knew. Okay? We can think that, okay, we, we grew up with it, or it, we live in America, or whatever, but no, people don't actually know. And they need to know. And they need to know the details. They need to know the how and why, the depth, the breadth of who he is. And therefore, we need to know too. We need to have a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. Because if we're supposed to be excited during Christmas, who are we excited about? It isn't just the fact that it is Jesus. Who is Jesus to us? We need to have a robust and deep idea of who he is to present and embody. Why is Jesus important to us? Not because he's the focal point of a religion, not because he's the focal point of a holiday, but really, why is he important to us? We need to have that understanding, that revelation. Because honestly, if we don't, I don't think God cares much about who we celebrate on December 25th. So, let's get excited about our king. I know we're kind of like, whoa, okay, right now, okay? Okay, let's get excited about our king, okay? So, to have some excitement, I'm going to read some scripture, okay? And we're going to have the most exciting part of scripture. We're going to read a genealogy. Okay? This is how the Gospel of Matthew starts. Okay, this is the opening salvo of the New Testament. Okay, the first thing since the Old Testament. 
Okay, now if you don't know what genealogy is, a genealogy in the Bible is a list of names of family ancestors of a particular person. So if it was my family, uh, if it start with my son, okay, just, just going with the boys here, it'd be Ethan, son of Brett, Brett, son of Bart, Bart, son of Gordon, all names you think of when you think of Chinese people. Um, <clears throat> but the Bible has several genealogies, okay? And these genealogies are famous for being skipped over. <laughs> because they're just, just a bunch of names, right? It's like, wh why are these so interesting? They're for the right hand of the Bible. This is how Matthew starts his gospel. Okay, all right. Okay, but we're going to read through it, but I want to know it's not just a list of names. It's not just this is Jesus' family, okay? There's actually some very theologically important things in this passage, okay? So bear with me. We're going to read the whole thing, 17 verses. You ready? Here we go. All right. Okay. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 17, an account of the genealogy of the Messiah, of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashum, and Nashum the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of King David. Take a breath. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, Jeram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Take another breath. <clears throat> and after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Selathiel. Selathiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Elohim. And Elohim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. Eliud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. And Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph and the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 gen generations. Okay, apologize to my... Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to apologize to my uh, Jewish cousin. I do have a Jewish cousin uh, who's actually a Jewish scholar because I probably butchered a bunch of those names. Um, but okay, question, who's still with me? Okay, who's still with me? All right, who took a holy nap? Anyone take a holy nap? Okay, all right. I, uh, I was once on a, on a plane for, uh, coming back from a mission trip from Swaziland uh, near South Africa, and um, we, were, we were talking with other people around the plane, and they're like, oh, you're on a mission trip, that's so cool. I've never read the Bible. I'm like, oh, opportunity. Okay, I'm going to be that guy. Okay, I'm going to, so I'm like, oh, you know, I have my Bible right here. You could read the Bible. I'm like, oh, they're like, okay, sure. I'm like, Okay, this never happens. Okay, all right. Uh, where do I start? Where do I start? Uh, Matthew, it's my favorite gospel. Yes, here, you can start reading Matthew. This is all about Jesus. Start reading and just see their eyes glaze over. I'm like, oh, I forgot. It starts the genealogy. What am I going to do? Bore them into the kingdom of God? <laughs> but okay, it's like, why does Matthew start here? Right? Why does he start here? This isn't exactly a grabber of attention, Matthew. Right? It's kind of a little bit of boring. But we have to remember that what he's trying to do is not just introduce us to Jesus' family, but he's going to give us some theologically important things about who Jesus is through the names that he includes, okay? So, um, some of them are gonna be challenging, some of them are gonna be inspirational, but while we're reading this and exploring this, I want you to ask yourself, what about Jesus that we learn from this text makes me excited? What excites me about Jesus? What gives me joy, okay? So, in the end, he, um, in verse 17, he says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon, Messiah, 14 generations. Okay, with this 14, 14, 14 set. Now, the Jewish people back then would have been reading this and would have been like, wait a minute, Matthew. Hang on just a minute. Because I've read 1 Chronicles, which is what you're basically taking your, your text from. And you left out a few names. Hmm. And then if they have read Luke's gospel, they're going to be reading that genealogy and like, mm, it's a little different. Hmm, wait a minute, what is going on here? Is this a contradiction? What do we do with this? They're different, okay? Matthew is clearly up to something, okay? We, here's the question, we can't, can we take this literally? No, we can't, 
We cannot take this absolutely literally. Because if you consider that First Chronicles, the old one in the Old Testament is probably the most accurate, clearly Matthew is doing a little bit of editing. Okay? And what he's trying to do then is say something. Okay? We cannot take this literally. We can't take our 21st century lenses, which says we need to read everything as a science book or a newspaper or history book, and say, okay, we place that on this text. Well, therefore, it's wrong. Okay? We need to say, well, hold on, this is first century. They write a little bit differently. And in the first century, they all, all the time will edit their genealogies to say something. And this is what Matthew's trying to do. Okay? And what he's trying to do is tell us something about Jesus. Okay, so you have this set of 14, 14, 14, which may not actually be accurate, but he's going to say, all right, these 14, 14, 14s are important. If you consider that 14 divided by 2 is 7, right? Well, we're using some math now, okay? 14 divided by 2 is 7. 7 is a biblically holy number. It's important. And so you have six sets, right? 6 times 7 is the same thing as 3 times 14. Six sets of 7. And now we have Jesus, the next generation, the 7. So we have a seven, seven. There is something holy, something perfect going on. Without actually saying so, Matthew is implying that, yes, something is crazy is going on. God is up to something. The holy, perfect God is up to something, and that is Jesus. This is God's plan in action. The birth of Jesus is a holy event, one orchestrated since the beginning of time for the salvation of people. Sometimes at Christmas, you know, we like to focus on little baby Jesus, the animals and the gifts, and the old holy night, the silent night. But no, this is big. This is big, Matthew is trying to say. This is crazy. It's like a countdown to a space shuttle launching into space. It's the, it's the gunshot of an opening race. It's the song at a rock concert. The Jewish audience would have seen this sets of seven and go, whoa, wait a minute, Matthew. This is huge. This is God doing something amazing. And now we get to be a part of it. And now you and I, 2,000 years later, get to be a part of it. We need to keep this perspective. Lest we lose ourselves in the earthly and the temporal, the revelation of God himself would step into our world in such a unique and creative and mind-blowing way to save all of humanity could be the absolute basis for our lives. We can say, okay, wait a minute. If God was willing to do this crazy plan, this amazing plan for my life, I can trust him. I can trust him then I can look at every single facet, every situation that I'm in, and say, all right, if God is king, if he's up to something, he's still up to something, what is he up to for me? What is he up to in my life? How can I view the situation in my life through God's eyes? Our perfect heavenly father sent his perfect heavenly son to us to change our lives. The king is coming. He is God. He's bringing new life with him. Can we be excited for that? because that's the kind of life that we should be living and sharing with people during the season. Now, another thing David, uh, or not David, but uh, Matthew may be doing is making an allusion to King David, okay? Um, this is gonna get really technical, but uh, in Hebrew, the letters in Hebrew often stand for number, and the uh, name of David, King David, uh, is David, and uh, his name actually adds up to the number 14. Okay, so you have the Dalit, or the D, you have two of those, right? And then you have the, the V, the Vav, and you don't have count the vowels because those are just little marks in Hebrew. And so you have four plus six plus four, a math again, and we have 14. And so you have three sets of 14. So he's basically saying that Jesus is in the same model of King David, okay? Now this is vitally important because his Jewish audience, again, was saying, oh, King David, that's really important because Jesus, the Messiah, was supposed to come from the line of King David. Okay, so he's a fulfillment of prophecy. 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down, he's talking to David, or God's talking to David, uh, with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Jeremiah 23, uh, 5 through 6. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Jesus is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Jesus is the fulfillment of those scriptures. And so God has kept his promise. God is a God who is faithful and will fulfill his promises. 
He promised Israel during the time of their height with King David, and he promised them at the, at the lowest point in the exile that there would be a king, a savior coming. Hope is still around. Believe, trust in me, the savior is coming. And boom, Matthew says, here he is, the son of David. This is the God we can trust. We can trust our coming King Jesus because, let's face it, if God is in control and he wants to transform our lives, it means that he wants to take us places. And if he wants to take us places, we have to trust him to take us, right? And so we have to remember that David, if he's modeled after King David, David is the shepherd, right? And what does the shepherd do? He leads us to still water. He leads us to green pastures. He wants to bring us to those places of transformation, those places of peace. And we trust that. Okay, if he's modeled after King David, who was David? David was the shepherd boy, learning to take care of his father's sheep, but also cultivating a deep love for God. The one whose courage and faith in God toppled a giant. The one who, even though King Saul was chasing him and hounding him and trying to kill him, he was destined to replace him. He knew that, but he would not kill Saul in retaliation because he would not touch the Lord's anointed. David was the one who loved the Lord's justice, even when it meant repenting for his own sin. He was the man after God's own heart. We can trust that King David, but even more, we can trust Jesus, who is modeled after King David. Jesus doesn't just die and resurrect so that we can go to heaven. Jesus wants to lead us to new places, places of freedom, places of healing. The good shepherd wants to lead us to those green pastures and still waters. Luke 4, 18 through 19, Jesus says this about himself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That is our coming king. That we can be excited about. Breaking the cycle of death and struggle and sin and bringing us the new, creative, redeemed life. That's our Jesus. Our lives might sometimes feel like we're on the banks of depression, marred by the grating grind of struggle, trapped in the shackles of sin, fueled by the fires of anger and pride. But Jesus wants to jump in and break those cycles. He wants to do something with us, with love that knows no bounds, the good shepherd leading us to places of freedom. He wants to see redemption and healing in us so that we can turn away from those things that bring us closer to death and give us the full life that we've always dreamed of. Breakthrough for your family or marriage, restored relationships, freedom from anxieties, that's our Jesus. Can we get excited about that this Christmas? Can we show people that this Christmas? This is the Jesus we need to know deeper and be sharing. This is the Jesus we, we testify, the good shepherd king after King David. But he's also the son of Abraham, right? Here's another promise that he's gonna fulfill. God made a big promise to Abraham. He said, uh, this is Genesis 22, 17 through 18. I will indeed bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies, and by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So again, here we have Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophecy as well. Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. Up until now, God's provision on salvation were primarily for the Jewish people, for the coming of Christ. That all changes. A blessing to all people. Because what does Jesus tell us to do at the end of Matthew? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. That is how the nations will be blessed. Galatians 3, 28 through 29, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That's amazing. Every single person matters to King Jesus. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we can't celebrate diversity. In fact, we should. We absolutely need that. And it doesn't mean that we can't look at what other cultures have done to other cultures. That's important to the, to the kingdom. We need to understand those hurts and find mercy and compassion for those things. But the love of Jesus is for all people. And we can be excited about that. That should bring us joy. Jesus is for every person. Jesus died for every single person, no matter their background, their gender, their culture, their social status. He loves sinners, saints, atheists, devout, the depressed, the joyful, the losers, you and me. His love for people is wider and deeper than you and I could ever fathom. And what a blessing that is. 
Because that means that his love extends to you and me in our darkest moments, on our worst days, when our emotions are in hot, when our relationships break down, when our selfishness takes center stage, his love can still find us. He wants to include everybody. He wants to include everybody. And he wants for us to include everybody. doesn't mean that everyone is saved. There still needs to be a response. But can we go out to everyone and proclaim this Jesus? He wants to include everybody. And Matthew shows this in his genealogy because he includes so many different types of people. Let's take a quick look. Verse 2, he includes Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. All right? So we have the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? The Jewish people would be like, yeah, of course, we know this. Absolutely. But then he also includes people outside the tribe of Israel. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. Those people were not originally in Israel. And this would have surprised the Jewish audience. Like, whoa, wait a minute. I thought we were the chosen people. Well, no, God's up to something. Jesus is doing something new. It's not about the nationalism or the tribalism. It's about including all of humanity. But not only that, God includes people who are second-class citizens. Rahab, Ruth, and, uh, and Tamar were women. During this time, women were essentially second-class citizens. They were sometimes even viewed as property. And so including women in this genealogy would have shocked those people. Like, wait a minute, we usually just include the men. No, no, God wants to include them as well. And he restores people to their God, original God-created place. He breaks through the human value systems and restores them to their proper place. He also includes people of ill repute. Some of the kings in Jesus' line and probably others who were not listed were not the greatest of people. Rehoboam, as the Bible says, divided Israel in two. Jehoram murdered his brothers. Ammon was wicked and uh, Jehoiakim did evil in the sight of the Lord, as the Bible says. <clears throat> and we're kind of like, Matthew, you're already doing some editing. Why not, you know, just Photoshop these guys out? Why not make a really good picture of Jesus? You know, let's just paint the best picture of Jesus possible. This is Jesus. Come on. But maybe that's the whole point. Maybe the point is, is that, hey, even if you are a notorious sinner, you still have a chance to get back into Jesus' family. The love of Christ knows no bounds. Jesus is unafraid to redeem the worst of the sinner. Jesus is unafraid to go and visit those you and I would never want to even meet. Jesus was the one who hung out with the sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Are we willing to go there as well? Because the coming king comes for you. Despite your worst actions, your worst inner thoughts, the times you failed, the times you were selfish, the times you hurt others, Jesus still comes for you, and he comes for others as well, in the depths of their sin. Are we willing to go there as well? And he also includes unknown people. Unknown people, okay? The first two sets of names, you know, like you have Abraham, you have David, you know, those are the big Jewish household names, right? Everybody knows who those are. But in the third set, from Abiud to Jacob, they're basically unknown nobodies. We have no clue who these people were at all. David's line has essentially gone from royalty to obscurity and poverty, from king to carpenter. No offense to carpenter, but not a king. And in a way, that's actually kind of exciting. That's exciting because that means that the nobody is getting included. People like, no, no offense, but you and me, right? right? We're probably not going to make the news headlines. Many of us won't be household Christian you know, names like Billy Graham, or John Calvin, or Martin Luther. But that doesn't mean we don't have a role to play. We have a role to play in the kingdom. I'm, I, most of you know I'm a huge Dodgers fan. And uh, you know, when people ask me, who's your favorite Dodgers player? You know, it's really easy to go for like, you know, Clayton Kershaw or Mookie Betts, you know, the big names, right? The famous people. But I love to throw people for a loop. Like, my favorite player right now? Austin Barnes, the backup catcher. Yeah. You know, you know about that? Yeah. How many remember A.J. Ellis, right? Walk machine, right? Yeah, no one remembers that guy, right? Or how about this? How many of you know who Terrence Gore is? Yeah, Danny Lee. <laughs> Danny knows. Okay, Terrence Gore. Okay, Terrence Gore. Uh, played for us in 2020 when we won the World Series, okay? And Terrence Gore is famous for being one of the most, uh, one of the fastest players in all of baseball. And, and teams love to pick him up on their team to go and steal bases. That's all he does. They put him as a pinch runner. They don't put him in the hit. They, they put him in when there's like a slow guy on the base pass and they pinch run for him so that he can run around the bases and, and cause havoc and score that one extra run that they need, usually in the late innings. But here's the thing about Terrence Gore. 
He has more World Series rings than most players. He has three because teams love to pick him up out of the minor leagues and just prop him in into the postseason and just have him like play like two games and then he ends up being a world champion. He was on the 2015 Royals. He was on the 2020 Dodgers. And where do you think he was last year? On the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> he has more rings than Mike Trout. Right? Sorry to the Angels. Most people do. I mean, woo! <laughs> no, no, there's one. There's one. <laughs> there's an Angels fan here. He's really offended. <laughs> Sorry, Mike Trout deserves way better. Yeah. Anyways. But I love to think about it about Terrence Gore, that he has this one little gift to be really fast. And now he's a world champion three times over. And I like to think about it with us. We may not be preaching to thousands of people. We may not be writing a, a, a big name book. But do we have little gifts? Yes, we do. And Jesus wants to use those little gifts in us to go and make waves in the kingdom. We may be nobodies, we may be unknowns, but can we live out our gifts that Jesus gives us? If we do, we're going to end up champions in the kingdom. Because you and I can still pray for people. You and I can go and pray with hurting people, go and serve the poor. We can proclaim hope and grace over our friends. We can share life and send encouragement. We can break through people's addictions with love. We can preach the gospel to our neighbors. We have all those little gifts. Those are actually big gifts because we have the Holy Spirit with us. We may feel like we're nobody. But guess what? So was David originally. So was Abraham originally. So were the disciples originally. And look what God can do with them. He can do that. God includes the nobody in his kingdom. And that's the truth that can extend to everyone. Because it's our job to bring that news to everyone because they may feel like nobodies too. Jesus is madly in love with your friend, your family member, your coworker, the clerk at 7-Eleven, the employee at Home Depot, the postman, the doctor, the principal at your kid's school, the people that you dress up in superhero costumes with. I have to, treat, I have to preach this to myself, okay? Everybody, Jesus wants to send that love to everyone. This is our Jesus, Matthew says. This is the Jesus we can be secure in. This is the Jesus we can have joy in. This is the Jesus we can be excited about. This is the Jesus we should know deeper and be sharing this season. The shepherd, the trustworthy, the healer, who gives us freedom, the lover of our souls, perfection and humanness all in one, divine and the royal and humble. How he includes us despite our sin, how he breaks those boundaries, how he shadows expectations. This, Matthew says, dear reader, is who I want you to know. Do we know Jesus like this? Do we know Jesus like this? We have to know our Heavenly Father deeper. And to do that, we need to spend time with him, we need to get to know him. We need to be with him. Just be saturated in the love of Jesus. Lamentations 3, 23 through 26 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that, has seek, that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly in the salvation of the Lord. We can experience his mercy, his goodness, his presence anew every day. The question is, are we going to do it? The more we know and understand Jesus, the more we fall in love with him. And the more we fall in love with him, the better our lives become to reflect him. And when we reflect him, the more other people will know him as well. The tone of Christmas should not be set by the anger or bitterness of a changing culture, nor should it be set by the music and decorations. The tone should be set by Jesus and our relationship with him, our sacred romance with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is my portion. I will hope in him. It is good to wait for our souls to seek him and wait quietly for him. Spend time with the Lord. Put aside some of that busyness and spend time with the Lord. And I will be the first to admit that this is a challenge for me. This is a challenge for me because I am very activity-oriented. I love doing things. My to-do list is like a second Bible to me, okay? That's probably blasphemous, but it's like true and probably blasphemous anyways. Um, okay? When I read the story of Mary and Martha, you know, when Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, 
learning and being with the Lord, and Martha's running around doing all the housework and, and setting up for the dinner, I'm like, I see you, Martha. I get you. There's stuff to you tell them. This stuff is done. Jeez. But no. Jesus says, Mary has chosen what's best. For me to just sit and pray and meditate and be still, enjoying the presence of Jesus, that is a challenge for me. And it's so much harder during this season. It's so much harder during this season with all the craziness, the business. Sometimes good things, sure. But I want to get up and I want to do stuff. I, you know, For me, I'm like every fiber of my being says, go up, make a plan, delegate assignments, make some phone calls, get on the computer, make an Excel sheet. You love Excel sheets. Okay? And Jesus told me this week, You may have a sermon to prepare, but no. I want you to slow down, take a breath, spend extra time with me. Like, but God, I have all these things I've got to do. No. Spend some time with me. Okay. And so I did. Remember your first love. Okay. And I laid down. For an extra hour, an extra hour. There's only 24 of those. An extra hour. And just spent time with the Lord. Okay, God, what do you have for me this week? I love you. Okay, I know that, but I love you. Okay. You love me. You're not a failure. Okay. You're doing what you need to do. Okay. Hey, remember that time when I came through? A few years ago for you? Oh, yeah, that was pretty awesome, wasn't it, God? Yeah, that was fun, actually. Remember that time that you prayed for somebody and I came through and you saw their life transformed? Oh, that was, that was, that was an awesome time, God. I remember that. Hey, remember how deep we were during this time when it was just you and me? Yeah, I do. And it kind of feels like that again. Okay, God. Kind of get it now. Kind of get it. Hey God, you know, I'm I'm struggling with this right now. Can you can you speak some life into me? Yes. I see your struggle. I see it. And I'm with you. And I know you're gonna get through this. Through my spirit and your obedience, you're gonna get through it. Okay. Okay. Jesus can transform us in those quiet moments. Are we going to let him? Are we gonna to get to know? our Jesus a little better because he wants to shepherd us through those things. He's been up to something since the beginning of time. It culminated in Jesus and it extends to us. Are we going to let Jesus speak life into us and define who we are? Or are we going to let everything else around us define us? Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. He is the one who's coming. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, the only thing do I seek. I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. Bask in the presence of Jesus. Enjoy the presence of Jesus. When we do that, we're going to get filled. And when we get filled, then we're going to overflow the right thing to people. This season and all of our lives. Be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true meaning of Christmas. Yes, he is. But really, only if we let him define who we are. Not so much more than what our culture defines. Will you spend time with Jesus? Will you treasure this mighty king who we celebrate during this time? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are a mighty king. Sometimes, God, we let that slip through the cracks. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the rest of the world, in all the things that distract us, good things, bad things, whatever they are. But God, we want more of you. We want more of you because it is about you. It's not just a holiday. It's not just your birthday. It's life. So I pray, Lord, that this morning, for each person here, that you would touch their life in a new way. 
that you would remind them how much you love them, how deeply you love them. You've loved them since before they were born. God, your love is so great, so deep, so special. So church, as we pray this morning, as your eyes are closed, ask the Lord, how much do you love me? What do you see in my life? Who do you see me as? The Lord loves each one of you in his own unique way, because you are unique. You've had your own struggles. You've had your own experiences. And God loves you exactly as you are. And he wants to fill you. Fill you with his spirit. Holy Spirit. And he wants to fill in those gaps in your life. Places where you feel like you're missing something. Where you're insecure. Where you fail. He wants to lift you up. The good shepherd wants to lead us to green pastures and still waters, places of peace. This is our Jesus. This is our beloved King Jesus. Who we can celebrate every single moment, not just this Christmas season, but every single moment. Do you know that Jesus? Do you love that Jesus? Jesus wants you to go deeper with you. God, we ask for your depth. We ask for your love to go deeper than we've ever felt before. We may know that we know that we know that you are our Savior. You are our Lord. You are our King. You are our friend. You are Jesus, the one whom we love the one who loves us. Friends, if you're in need of some prayer to go deeper with Jesus, some of us will be here in the front to offer some prayer to you this morning. And we invite you to come up. It's a step of faith. Come, get prayer. Your Jesus wants more for you. He wants so much more for you. And he wants so much for us as a church. To do that, we've got to be more and more madly in love with Jesus. Let's discover that more. God, we love you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for sending us, for sending him to us. We pray in your son's name. Amen.